Amen. Thank you, praise band and congregation as we sing praises to our Lord. I want to direct you to open your Bible to John chapter 13. We're moving ahead just a little bit, and I hope that the reason for that will become self-evident in just a few minutes as we dive into this text. Thank you for your continued prayers, of course, for me and my family. August has been a, a rough month so far. We spent 16 days in the hospital with our, my daughter, Emma. Um, but by God's grace, we are home. We are able to come home last Saturday night. and uh, She's doing better, getting back to where she was prior to these hospitalizations. So we continue to pray. Continue to pray and work and ask you to join with us in doing that. So Jody and I and our whole family, Gabe, Ellen, and Samuel, are very grateful for this congregation. John chapter 13. Hear the word of the Lord from verses 12 through 17. And when he, that is Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? Gracious Lord, we recognize that you are Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our provider, our redeemer. We recognize that Jesus, your son, the only unique begotten son, is the Messiah who died and rose again for our sins. Lord, we confess that the Holy Spirit is working among us. We believe this. And so we ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear you this morning. Incline our, our hearts to love you, our minds to, to drink in this message. And Lord, grant that our hands and feet would apply the truth of this passage. And our prayer is that in all things you will be made known. That believers would be encouraged. And that those who have not come to faith will be born again by your power. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, I mentioned earlier that there are two emphases during the month of September. The first being the golden offering for state missions. The second, you will find out about as you look at the back of the bulletin. You'll notice at the very top it says, Serving the Savior. During the month of September, we are going to be emphasizing service. And how each of us need to be involved in serving our Savior by serving this church. You'll notice at the very top is a, a brief paragraph I wrote 
just introducing you to this idea. At the bottom is a list of needs from our children's ministry. Now, each Sunday of this month, on the very back of the bulletin, there will be a list of specific needs within our congregation where we need you to get involved. But I want to draw your attention to the very first line that I wrote. Every Marine a rifleman. I learned that in reading the book by Hampton Sides entitled On Desperate Ground, a story from the Korean War. Within that, he introduces the reader to one of the tenets of the Marine Corps. Every Marine a rifleman. Now what that means is that every Marine may have a specific duty. They may be a radio man. They may be a driver. They may be on the KP duty. They may be a cook. But when the battle begins, every Marine is a rifleman first and foremost. The other job is not an excuse to not engage in the battle. No cook can say, well, I'm just a cook. I, I've got to stay behind. No, they are expected to grab a rifle and engage in the fight. In like manner, I believe that Scripture teaches that every Christian, a servant. Servanthood is to mark the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. It's what we are called to. It's who we are. It's part of our identity as followers of Jesus. But if a servant isn't serving, then are they really a servant? If a follower of Jesus is characterized by serving, but no service is taking place, can we really say that person is following Jesus? Now immediately we are faced with a bit of a dilemma. How do we serve Jesus since he has ascended into heaven? We can't physically serve him. He has died, risen from the dead, and then ascended to be with the Lord. Until we realize that one of the descriptions of the church is that we are his body. The church is the body of Christ. So that by serving within the church, we are serving the body of Jesus. We are serving Jesus. That's why I believe one of the images of Christianity should be the basin and the towel. There are images that have been used to represent our faith for 2,000 years. One, the primary one being the cross. We see one prominently displayed here on our stage. The cross representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Another symbol of Christianity that communicates something about who we are is the ichthus or the fish symbol. Communicating that we are fishermen of men. Fishers of men. A symbol used by the early church to indicate where the church would be worshipping during years of persecution. I would argue that the symbol of the basin and the towel should be added to those two to communicate who we are as followers of Jesus. I say that based upon John 13, verses 12 through 17. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's the night before he is going to be crucified. In just a few hours from this event, he's going to be arrested and drugged in front of a mock trial. 
So what does he do in these last hours with his disciples? After the meal, Jesus stands up from what was more than likely the center from where they were eating. He takes off his outer robe and he places around his waist an apron. And he takes a wash basin and a towel. And he kneels at their feet and begins to scrub them. That action was shocking and scandalous. Because it was the work of the most menial servant. The lowest of the low. I would remind you, they walked not on paved streets, but upon dirt roads. Roads they shared with livestock. Roads that were not swept. Their feet would no doubt have remnants of dirt, mud, and manure. And here is Jesus. Washing. You know, we're amazed whenever a celebrity comes down from Mount Hollywood and goes into a homeless shelter and feeds those who are in need. There's something about that that makes us feel good. Remember earlier this year, Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, made the news because he donned his tights and visited a children's hospital. And it was a beautiful story as the kids smiled and enjoyed time with Spider-Man. Do you ever wonder why those stories attract our attention? I wonder if it in some way makes us feel good that people that we admire, people that are in positions of power and influence still serve. We should no less be amazed that Jesus did what He did this night. And it's scandalous because here is the Lord of the universe, the awesome God that we just sang about, the God who spoke and worlds came into being, the God who sustains creation. And He's washing between the toes of His disciples. That's why verse 12 is not just a rhetorical question. Jesus looks at them and says, Do you understand what I have done to you? They understood the action, but that's not what he's saying. He wasn't asking them, can you recite that I just washed your feet? No, Jesus is asking the question of us. Do we understand the meaning of what he just did? And just so there's no ambiguity, Jesus makes it clear in verses 13 through 15. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right. I am. And then look at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Just so we don't miss the point, Jesus is saying that his action is to be an example for our life. Now I know there are denominations that read this and they view foot washing as an ordinance along the lines of baptism or the Lord's Supper. I, I don't think the New Testament teaches that. And I don't think that what Jesus did here was meant to be just a one-time act. I've, I've been a part of foot washing services and quite frankly, that's easy. It really is. I mean, you're, you're a part of another group that's washing feet, and you can say, okay, I can touch somebody's foot for just five minutes in a service. I can do that. I can do that. And then it's done. 
Jesus isn't talking about a one-time act. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about what should characterize our lives as believers. And he's giving us an example of what we ought to do. We need examples. I was listening to the great golfer Jack Nicklaus the other day. Well, I was makes it sound like I had him on the phone. Um, I was watching a video where he was instructing youth who were just picking up the game of golf. And he said to them, pick one professional and watch them. Watch their swing. Study it. Imitate it. And follow that example. Jesus is saying, you want to know what servanthood looks like? Here's the example. Follow it. One of the things that this model teaches us is that there's no excuse not to serve. There's no excuse. Look how Jesus refers to himself. He starts in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. But notice in verse 14, he inverts the two. He emphasizes Lord. He says, I'm your teacher and Lord, and if I, your Lord and teacher. Now, we have to read Lord back through the lens of the ascension, resurrection, and the cross to know that that term Lord is weighted with theological meaning. That He is Yahweh, that He is the life, He is the way and the truth. And He's saying, if I, as the Lord, as the Master, have washed your feet, then shouldn't you do that with others? If I am doing that, if I am washing feet, then what excuse can you have not to? Now just for the sake of being candid, let's examine some of the reasons we give for not serving. One of the predominant reasons that's given is time. I just don't have time to serve. I would love to, Pastor, but I am just busy. I guarantee you, if you ask someone how they're doing, their answer will be one of two things. Either they'll say, I'm fine and move on, or they'll go into a litany of how busy and tired they are. I really think it's because in our world, in our society, busyness has become our religion. We find purpose and meaning now in being busy. It's like it validates our existence. That if we're not busy... We're not proving that we are important and that we are are worthy of time. But if we are busy, there's a sense of validation and pride that says, I am worth something, I'm busy, and my busyness proves that I need to be. So instead of looking to Jesus for that, we look to busy schedules. And in order to serve this idol of being busy, often the one thing that has to be excised first is service within the church. But the reality is that it comes down to what we see as important. It comes down to what we value. Now, I don't live in a cave. I know that busyness isn't going away. There are demands that we have. But I think the issue is, is that in that busyness, will we make time for what is truly important? Having things to do doesn't mean we can't serve. My mother would, if she were alive, would tell me not to do what I'm about to do. And if the Lord allows her to hear this sermon, I'm sorry, Mama. I was always very close and admired my mother greatly, very close to her. She was always busy, always active. 
1974, my grandmother, my mom's mother, suffered a severe stroke. They didn't go to the nursing home. They took care of her at my mamaw's house. So from 1974 until 1989, when my grandmother passed away, four days a week, sometimes five, my mother went over to her house to take care of my mamaw, my Uncle Clifford, who was mentally handicapped, and her other brother, Ernest, who had suffered a severe stroke and had trouble walking. She went over four days a week doing laundry for them, cleaning their house, cooking their meals, getting medicines out. And then she would come home and take care of us, me and my brother and dad, doing our laundry, cooking meals. But every Thursday night was set aside for something. Because on Wednesday night after prayer meeting, mom would get the bulletin announcements from the preacher. And Thursday night, she would go in front of the typewriter and type out the weekly bulletin for the congregation. And then she would make time on Fridays to go by the associational office because the church was a small country church, didn't own a copier, and she would have them printed off. And then Saturday, and often I would go with her to drop off the bulletins at church. After everything she had done in the week, there would have been ample reason to say, I am just too tired. But when I asked why, she said, it's a way I can serve the Lord. We make time for the things that we deem important. And we fit it in. We find a way. Now I know along with busyness often comes family. I've got three children of my own. And even though they're grown now, I know what busyness is. There's that time in a family's life where the kids are involved in lessons and school and practices. And they've got to get here and there. And My mom used to joke, Mark, I went into labor with you one time, but I've been delivering you ever since. And it's very easy for us to draw this distinction. Well, I'm, I'm busy with my family, so I can't be involved in serving. But I think that's a false distinction. Because why not include your family in serving? Why not make them a part of your ministry here at Trinity? Earlier this year, I was honored, and I mean that sincerely, to speak at the funeral services of two of our members, a, a married couple. They died within weeks of each other. I'm going to go ahead and say the name because many of you know of whom I speak. Eric and Dee Jewett. Eric was an amazing man. Retired as a colonel from the Air Force. He was a chaplain and was a preacher. Went into the ministry, pastoring churches. And the thing that amazed me in talking with his children and his grandchildren was this. That when he would go to do visits, he would take his kids with him. And when his grandkids were older, he would take his grandkids with him to do visits. He was doing ministry involving his family with him as a model of this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And once again, Eric in glory is probably thinking, don't do that. But to me, that's a beautiful picture of what discipleship is. Discipleship's not just learning doctrine. That's a part of it. But it's learning what it means to live that doctrine. What it means to be a, a servant of Jesus and putting that into play. 
Once again, it comes down to what are our priorities. And Jesus is saying that if He as Lord is willing to serve, we have no reason not to. It comes down to an issue of stepping out of our comfort zone and making the commitment of being that one that says, Here am I. If there's a need, I'll trust God and I will step out in faith. Years ago, the Colorado Rockies were playing the Atlanta Braves and the game was tied going into the ninth inning and it ended tied but the Rockies encountered a problem they had used all of their relief pitchers they had no one else to go out and throw the ball so the coach looks at the team and he says anybody anybody want to go pitch and an injured catcher by the name of Brian Brent Maine stands up manager looks at him and says can you pitch and Brent says yes He'd never pitched in his life. He gets the ball and he goes out to the mound. First pitch is over the batter and the catcher's head. Next pitch is behind the batter. But he's trying. His team needs him. So he works and miraculously he gets two batters to ground out and one hit a pop fly. But here's the point. The team needed him and he said, I'll do it. Here I am. I'll I'll give it a try. That's the attitude that is needed within our hearts that says, if there's a need, I'm going to, Lord, here I am. Use me. Because doing so is an expression of love. Understand the motivation for service is love. I direct your attention back to the text, to a passage we didn't read, verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I think that phrase, to the end, really means in the fullness of his love. He showed them the depth of his love. And he did that in two ways. The cross. He showed his love in the cross. And then he shows his love by giving an example of what the Christian life is about, serving it. He's giving a purpose. He's saying, this is what your life is about. It is serving. It is serving me by serving others, by serving within the church. So when we live on purpose and we serve, that's when we'll have fulfillment. That's when we'll know love. Because when a church is not living according to its purpose, that's when problems seep in. Max Lucado, incredible writer and preacher, tells the story of a time he was going with some of his buddies fishing. Packed up an RV and headed out, going to the lake. As they pulled into the campground, they noticed, however, there were storm clouds in the distance. And about the time they got everything set up that evening, the rain came down. It's okay, though. Tomorrow morning it will be bright and we will fish. And they were still talking about all the fish they were going to catch and the good times they were going to have. But the next morning the sun came up, but it wasn't shining because the storm clouds wouldn't let it. It rained and rained and rained. Look, Kate on his friend said, that's fine. We've got board games. We've got card games. Man, we'll play Rook all night. Let it rain. It'll be fine. And it did rain all day. The next day they woke up and it was still raining. That's okay. We've got board games. And later that day, that's when Max said he started noticing how irritating all of his friends really were. He didn't know why he hadn't noticed it before. How the one guy talked too much. How one of them was even so low that he would cheat at Monopoly. 
And by the fourth day, when they woke up and it was raining, they were done. In order to save their friendships, they decided to leave. And he made this point. When fishermen don't fish, they fight. When servants don't serve, they fight. I really believe that a lot of congregations encounter trouble because they're not focused on serving. You see, when you're in the thick of the battle and you're serving and you're working, a lot of the things on the periphery, you realize they don't matter. Because I've got to serve, I've got to work. That is what it's about. And as Jesus gives us this model, He is showing us not to be concerned about the things that really don't matter, but to pick up that basin and that towel and to serve. And that's why he says in verse 15, I've given you an example, a model to follow. Now, once again, this isn't just a one-time event. I would remind you that Jesus' life was characterized by serving. He said in Mark chapter 12, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, some may point out, well, yes, Jesus came to serve, but there were also times in his life where he got away, where there were times where he stepped away from serving to be energized. And yes, he did. And it's wise to do that. However, that doesn't negate the truth that his life was characterized by serving. Take an illustration from the world of music. When you start to learn music, you recognize there are different types of notes. Quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes whole notes, half notes. And there are also these little things called rest. Now, all those pianists out there, other than Julie, I'm not, I'm not going to let Julie answer this. What do you do when there's a rest in the music? You rest. You stop playing for just a second. What would happen if a whole song was written with rest? <laughs> I'm playing it right now. Nothing. Rest may punctuate the score, but they don't characterize all of it. Yes, there are times where we need to take a moment to catch our breath. We, are, we need to do that. But our life's to be characterized by serving. By, by doing the things that the Lord would have us to do. And he says this, look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here's a beatitude. If we serve, there is a blessing. In fact, and there's nothing wrong with serving to be blessed. The book of Hebrews, it says, it pleases God when we believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that seek Him. It is motivation to serve. I often think that at funerals, one of the things that's often said of many believers is a quote from a parable Jesus told, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think sometimes within the Christian world there's this automatic expectation that that's what we're going to hear from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so we get lulled into this sense of, okay, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a faithful servant. But I would remind you that in that parable Jesus told, there were three servants each of them were given an amount of money. Two of them put that money to work. They served. They went to work with it. And to those two servants, Jesus said, the master looked at them and said, well done, good and faithful servant. But the third servant didn't do anything with it. 
His music was one filled with rest. And it says the master looked at him and said, You wicked, unfaithful servant. And cast him into the outer darkness. We mustn't take for granted that Jesus will say, Well done. We mustn't take for granted that he'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because that's going to be based on what we do with what he's given us. And the motivation for all this goes back to love. When we love the Lord and love one another, we show that in serving. One of my top ten favorite movies came out in the late 1980s. It's called The Princess Bride. Many of you may have seen it, may even have read the book by William Golding. The story of... Wesley, the dread pirate Roberts, and Princess Buttercup. The, mo- the book and the movie start out on a farm where Buttercup works. Her parents own the farm. And Wesley is a farm boy. He's a servant, menial servant. And Buttercup takes a little pleasure in ordering Wesley around. Get that bucket. Go feed the pigs, Wesley. And every time she ordered Wesley to do something, he always replied the same way. As you wish. As you wish. And then Buttercup realized something. That every time he was saying, as you wish, he was saying, I love you. And in serving, he was showing that love. What's our response to the Lord when he says serve? I pray that we will respond as you wish. And we will do. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Throughout this month, we're going to be focusing on serving. We'll be looking at opportunities to serve. We'll look at our identity as servants. We'll take a look at how God has called us and equipped us to serve. But this morning, let us start at the fundamental base level. Are we willing? Are we willing to follow this example that the Lord has given through washing of feet? Are we willing to to reorder our values and our priorities to say, Yes, I'm busy, but you know, my master's called me to serve. I'm going to ask Nathan to join me in the front. Both of us will be up here if you want to pray. If you want someone to pray with you, we will be here to do that. Or maybe you need to come and just kneel down at this altar, this kneeling bench, and pray and say, Lord, I've become self-absorbed. I've become cynical because I've not been serving. I really believe God is glorified when His people respond. Here I am, Lord. Send me as you wish. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. And after this prayer, we will stand together. And if you need to respond in any way, please do so.